Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, if there's anything Christians ought to be good at, it's joy. Uh, you know, we, we ought to be really good at joy. It's this time of year when we're thinking about joy. Joy fills our Christmas songs. We sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppressions shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise thee. We all, with all our hearts, we praise his holy name. So we sing about it, but in reality... The idea of joy should go beyond the, just the lyrics of our songs, and joy should be part of our common vocabulary of not just this season, but as Christians of all of our life. You know, we live in a world where they said during the Advent candle lighting that joy is not something that we see on a regular and consistent basis. And what I find interesting is that people in the culture, they, they talk about joy without really and truly even understanding what joy is, is all about. You may recall a few years ago the controversy that, that brewed over holiday cups that were used by a particular coffee shop called Starbucks. The leading retailer of overpriced coffee took the clearly anti-Christmas stance of serving their, their expensive coffee in plain red cups with the company's logo on the side. I was deeply offended by such an image. However, a different coffee retailer who also happens to sell delicious donuts decided to answer Satan's brew with a cup of their own, a traditional white styrofoam cup with the word joy printed Feet, uh, prominently featured on the side. Now, understand this. I am a bit of a coffee snob. I enjoy coffee. I, I like coffee. But one thing is certain, coffee, coffee doesn't bring joy. Coffee brings happiness, especially first thing in the morning. It brings a lot of happiness first thing in the morning. But it doesn't bring joy. Believe it or not, joy is even deeper than coffee. You know, Luke's gospel gives us more information than any other gospel written about the events that surround Jesus' birth. 
Of course, we get the traditional characters, the traditional images of the nativity. We know the angels and the shepherds are there. Of course, the, the, the stable and the manger and all of those things are there in Luke's gospel. But prior to chapter 2, where we hear the, the Christmas story most, uh, most familiar, we get all those details contained for us about Mary's pregnancy, about those uh, circumstances surrounding John the Baptist and his conception and, and birth. And so we get all of that information as well. Now, of course, we know that the angels brought Mary the news of her pregnancy. And shortly thereafter, she made a, made a trip to go visit her relative, Elizabeth, who also was expecting her own miracle baby. You see, Mary, we believe, was very young, but Elizabeth was not someone who, was, who, was yet able to, uh, who wasn't able to have children. She had been barren. And so, but we're told that when Mary and Elizabeth meet, I can almost imagine their pregnant bellies coming in contact as they embrace. We're told that the baby inside of Elizabeth leapt, but the Bible's very clear. It says that the baby inside of Elizabeth, what? Leapt for joy. Leapt for, for joy. Now, again, I've been with my wife when, when she's been pregnant, and I've had the privilege of, of feeling the baby move and, and all of those things, and, and I can't imagine what it would feel like to have that inside of you. Ladies, that's something that you get to enjoy all on your own. Um, and I've heard women describe it as, oh, he's kicking me here, he's kicking me there, or, or you know, I've, I've heard all those descriptions, but, but the thought of leaping, that's a new one. Uh, the thought of a baby leaping inside of you is, is certainly a, a compelling image. But at that moment, what we find is that, is that Mary bursts into song. You see these places in the Bible where, where the response to some sort of tremendous move of God or some tremendous news is that people burst into song. And what we find here in, in the, is the fact that Mary is singing what, what we could say is the very first Christmas song. If you've got your Bible, open to Luke chapter 1, and I want to read Mary's song, the song that she, she recites, she sings as she receives this blessing from Elizabeth. If you've got your place and you're able, would you please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, "'My soul magnifies the Lord.'" And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down their, the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. What is all this talk about joy? You can be seated as we contemplate these thoughts. When we consider joy, how, how do we define joy? Rick Warren says that joy is this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, 
the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That's a pretty good definition. I don't know that I could come up with, with one that sounds that good. That's pretty good. John Piper said joy is this. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. I suspect if we were all asked to write down our definition of joy, we would all capture some of those same ideas in different nuanced ways. But for me, as I think of a way as how we should define joy, I think joy as a Christian needs to have two key components. First, joy needs to be something that is not fleeting. Joy needs to be something that is not fleeting. Happiness is a, is a temporary emotional response to something that brings pleasure. For example, Reese's Christmas trees bring me happiness. Particularly if they've been slightly chilled down in the fridge. Not frozen, you can't eat them frozen, but if they're cold, they're good. But Reese's Christmas trees only bring a temporary good feeling. Eat too many, and happiness turns into something else entirely. And then, of course, you also have to face the reality that they only make so many, and they're only available for half off after Christmas for a brief time. And when you realize that, your happiness is certainly diminished. Happiness is fleeting. Listen, joy is not fleeting. Likewise, true joy has to be something that is a product of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy is not simply having a good disposition. You may know lots of people who have good dispositions. They smile. They seem generally agreeable. They're happy. They're fun to be around. But listen, if they are not truly Christians, as good as their disposition may be, that is not true joy because true joy as we understand it in the christian faith only comes out of a heart that's been redeemed by the blood of the lord jesus christ that's only true joy while there may be lots and lots of people that you interact with on a daily basis who who are who are nice folks they're happy they they they, they they're they're good to be around if they're not christians then then that's not real joy that they're experiencing Perhaps the best definition of joy that I've ever heard is this, and I don't know who said it, but this is what they said, and I love, I love this, first line, this first phrase. Joy is the emotion of salvation. Joy is the emotion of salvation. The definition goes on. It is the joy of seeing, knowing, loving and trusting Jesus Christ. We cannot generate tr this true joy ourselves. It is the product of the Holy Spirit in us. Joy is a glorious gladness and a deep delight in the person of Jesus Christ. Joy is the emotion of salvation. You know, the, the Christmas story is covered with this advent of true joy. We're told that, that John leapt 
with joy while in the mother, while in the womb of his mother. Mary rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's joy is, is covered in the language of salvation and deliverance. Though Mary was very young, her wisdom is, is very apparent here. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. One of my favorite Christmas songs says it so profoundly. This child that you delivered would soon deliver you. Mary understood that. Over in chapter 2, this was the message of the angel's announcement to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Why is there joy? Because a Savior has been born. You see, joy is attached to the Savior. Mary rejoiced in God, my Savior. There is something to be understood about joy being connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. When the angels declared to the shepherds that there has been a child that's been born, this is good news of great joy, this was no ordinary birth announcement. This was the most epic, earth-shattering, history-making, eternity-shaping, universe-altering birth announcement in all of creation. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angels are proclaiming, allow us to show you what true joy really looks like. Look to Jesus, the Savior who's been born in Bethlehem for all people. The Messiah has arrived. Joy is here. Joy is on the move. Come and receive this joy. Now, this changes things. Now, the Jews were not ignorant of the concept of joy. The word shows up more than a few times in the Jewish scriptures. In the Old Testament, though, what we find is that joy was most closely affiliated with true worship. Not surprisingly, the Old Testament book that contains joy the most is the book of Psalms. To this day, when we gather together as Christians and we worship in spirit and in truth, that should, that should stoke the fire of joy in our hearts. When we gather for worship, we don't get joy from worship, but our joy is amplified when we gather, gather together in true worship. It, it, it makes that fire burn hotter. The Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice. And, and all rejoicing is, is the, is the outward expression of inward joy. If you've got joy as a Christian, when you express that joy, you are rejoicing. And so that is the natural outflow of inward joy, is the act of rejoicing. That's what Mary does. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Because she knows God my Savior is inside of her. She's got something to rejoice in. But keep in mind this, joy is not just a response to a stimulus. Joy is a state of mind. Pay very close attention to what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary is not rejoicing because of something, Mary is rejoicing in someone. It matters a lot. 
She's not rejoicing because of the circumstances in her life have brought her to this point. She's not rejoicing because of the baby. We're told she rejoices in God, my Savior. She's got some pretty exciting circumstances, right? Anybody had circumstances like Mary? I'll sit down and let you talk. <laughs> She's got some incredible circumstances. Circumstances like no woman has ever experienced before. She's got some incredible things happening in her life. She even reflects on those circumstances going forward. Look at there in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She's reflecting on the fact that, that some incredible things have happened. But that's not the source of her joy. She is rejoicing in the Lord, not in the circumstances brought about by the Lord. Why? Because circumstances change. The Lord does not. Church, if that's anything we can take away about joy, we have to understand that our circumstances can change like the minute hand on a clock. But the Lord does not. He is the same yesterday, today, and he'll be the same tomorrow as he's always been. And so our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy, we rejoice in God, our Savior. Our joy is found in him, not in the ebb and flow of the circumstances of our life. And because of this, we understand this. Joy is compelling. Joy is compelling. Mary is so filled with joy, what does she do? She worship, worships. She sings to the Lord. She shows him gratitude. If you flip over a chapter and you see the shepherds, what do they do when they're confronted with this good news of great joy? They're compelled to go, to go investigate the angel's claims, and they walk away. They don't walk away saying, let's put that on Facebook. Won't believe what we saw. Hashtag virgin birth. You don't see that. The shepherds walk away what? Worshippers. Why? Because they've encountered the Savior. It's compelling. You see, when we have real joy, that real joy motivates us to tell folks about it. The prophet Jeremiah was confronted with this very real problem in his book. He said, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more of his name... There is in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah said, I can't keep this in. I can't keep my mouth shut. I'm trying. I want to be quiet because when I open my mouth, it gets me into trouble. But I can't. I can't keep my mouth shut about it. Over just a few pages in Luke's gospel to chapter 15, Jesus offers us three parables that reinforce this, comp this compulsion to speak of this unspeakable joy. When the shepherd finds his sheep, you remember he had 199 stayed, one ran off. What did he do? He went to go find the one, and when he found the one, what did he do? He rejoiced. He told folks about it. He couldn't keep his mouth quiet. Couldn't, couldn't keep his mouth shut. He found his lost sheep. He gets, on, he gets on Facebook, I found my sheep. You guys rejoice with me. He tells everybody a second parable. There's a woman who lost her coin, and she searches the whole house to try to find the coin. And when she finally finds her coin, what does she do? 
She rejoices. She calls her friends. You guys won't believe what just happened. I found the coin. Would you share in my joy? Would you rejoice with me? Then there's the story of the prodigal son. More details are told in this story than in the other two. But the prodigal son returns. And what happens? The father kills the fattened calf, puts a ring on his finger, throws a fine coat on him. They have a party. They celebrate. Why? Because that lost son came home. They rejoice in the deliverance of that son except for the older brother. You see, that's what joy does. Joy is so compelling. And if you find that your joy isn't powerful enough to compel you to tell your friends and family, then maybe you need to join King David in the prayer of Psalm 51, where David simply says this, Restore unto me, what? The joy of my salvation. How much does the church need to pray that today? Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. I think one of the reasons the church today has lost some of its influence in the world is because we've lost touch with our joy. I wonder if we were to have mirrors installed on the back of our pews this morning and you were to take a long look at your countenance, even right now, is it a countenance of joy? I saw the other day that there's, a, there's an ornament that people hang on their trees and I find it very interesting that they, they, hang, a, they hang a pickle on their, on their Christmas tree. And I thought, what in the world is a pickle Doing on a Christmas. Any any of y'all got pickles on your Christmas trees? Okay, there's a few guilty parties. I said, what in the world does a pickle do on a Christmas tree? And so I did some serious research. I went to the internet and looked at Google. And I typed in, I kid you not, the phrase, what's up with the pickles on the Christmas trees? That was my search phrase, and that produced quality results. And the outcome of that is that... um, is the, the general consensus. There were several explanations that, um, that some, there's a story about St. Nicholas, the, the original Santa Claus, that uh, one of the miracles that he supposedly did to allow him to be turned into a saint by the Catholic Church is that there were two boys who were killed by a, a shop owner, and he put their bodies inside of a pickle barrel outside of his, outside of his pub, and one of the things that St. Nicholas supposedly did was resurrected the two boys from out of the pickle barrel. And so, in celebration of St. Nicholas' miracle, people hang pickles on their Christmas tree. And then I read, that's unconfirmed. That's not. Okay. Oh, man, that's a great one, right? Uh, And and then I I kept reading, and the best explanation was this, was that uh, some German Christmas ornament salesman came up with a great story for why he was running a sale on pickle-shaped Christmas ornaments. And that was where those stories come from. So if you have a pickle on your Christmas tree, uh, I was looking at the pickle and thinking, you know, that's what a lot of Baptists look like they were weaned on. (laughs) Folks, 
we have literally been delivered from Satan, hell, and death. Literally. Not, not, not metaphorically, not allegorically, not any of those things. We literally, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, have been delivered from hell. We have a Savior who loves us so much that He literally gave His life for us. We don't have an excuse to not have joy. Because you know what? Joy is revealing. Joy doesn't respond to circumstances. But joy does help us diagnose our spiritual conditions. If you find yourself losing your joy, it, it may be wise to do a little bit of introspection. Is there something in your life that is diminishing or clouding your joy? If it's not your circumstances, maybe it's sinful choices that you've made in your life. And though our circumstances don't affect our joy, our response to those circumstances can certainly cloud our joy. When we respond to our circumstances with rage, with disbelief, with excessive worry or fear, when we allow our responses to those circumstances to be guided by those extreme emotions rather than our emotional feelings towards salvation. Remember, joy is the emotion of salvation. What other response is appropriate? We know it's not circumstantial because the Bible calls us to have joy even in our adversity. I'm convinced today that the world doesn't need to see a fearful church. I think the world wants the church to be afraid. I think the world really wants the church to be afraid of, of, of external forces. I mean, uh, you, you hear stories in China of churches being closed and shuttered and communist government doing this, that, and the other. They want Christians to be afraid. But those Chinese Christians, you know what they're doing. They're just going underground. And they're daring the Chinese authorities come and get us. In our country, the, the left side of, of the political spectrum wants the evangelical churches to be afraid. Well, why? Well, they'll take our tax exemption. Hey, guess what? They kind of already did. Last year, they raised that, uh, that standard deduction to a, a point so high that it's almost impossible for regular average middle-class folks to even do itemizing anymore. So, so they kind of did that anyway. And so people give to churches now, not because they're looking for tax deductions, because you're better off to claim the, the, the maximum deduction rather than worrying about itemizing. Most, most, most of us are. They want us to be afraid of that. Well, if you say this or if you do that, if you, if you speak against this, well, we're going to take that tax exemption away and we're going to punish you and, and all those things. They want us to be afraid. Now, the church doesn't need to see, a, or the world doesn't need to see a, a fearful church today. Uh, secondly, the, the world doesn't need to see an apathetic church today. 
Because I understand that when the pressure gets applied and you feel like you're not making an impact, it's easy to just say, you know what, I don't care. We work and work and work. We plow the field and plow the field and plow the field. We sow seeds and seeds and seeds, and we never, ever, ever see a harvest. You ever felt that way? It's easy if you're a farmer and you plant seeds season after season after season and you never yield fruit ever, ever, ever. It's easy to say, why do I keep sowing seeds? It's easy to say, why don't I just give up? I'm not doing any good. Why don't we just gather on Sunday, sing our songs, pat ourselves on the back, and go home for the rest of the week and we'll see you again next week. It's easy to get there. The world doesn't need to see an apathetic church. You know what the world needs to see? The world needs to see a joyful church. The world needs to see a church that is filled with joy. Because joyful churches, you know how you get a joyful church? You fill it with joyful Christians. And those Christians sing along with Mary, and we all can sing the song, My soul rejoices in God my Savior. Come thick or thin, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. Come hell or high water, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. And there is nothing, nothing that can change my mind. Fill a church with people who sing that song, and you'll have a joyful church. You'll have a joyful church. Joyful churches are made up of joyful Christians who never get tired of the angels' words. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And it's our job, church to make sure that all people know the news of that great joy. Would you join me in prayer? God, our soul magnifies the Lord. And our souls rejoice in God our Savior. Lord, as we contemplate the words, may we hold a mirror up to our own souls and just ask the simple question, how's our joy? Have our circumstances weighed us down? Have our sinful choices burdened us to the point that we can't see joy that's literally right in front of us? Have we bought the lie that joy and happiness are the same thing? God, I, I pray that today, right now, God, perhaps if we've been beat down by this season in our lives that we would just join with King David and simply pray the prayer 
Oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Maybe even as I'm silent for the next couple of seconds, maybe that's just a prayer you need to breathe just to yourself, by yourself in the pew right there. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.